Talking benefits. 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 Talking. Talking. Talk a little bit about benefits. Yeah, benefits. Talking benefits. You're listening to Talking Benefits, the podcast brought to you by the International Foundation of Employee Benefit Plans. Every month, we dive into retirement, healthcare, hot topics and trends, and whatever else the benefits industry throws at us. I'm Justin Held. I'm Ann Patterson. I'm Julie Stick. And I'm Kelly Colesrude. Now let's talk benefits. Hello, listeners. Today, we are talking about the next step in the COVID-19 timeline. Organizations are exploring the possibility of returning to work. Of course, it's important to mention that many essential workers have not had the luxury of working from home during this pandemic. We are deeply appreciative of the work they do every day as they put their health and safety on the line to provide and care for the rest of us. That's right, Julie. But for those of us who are facing a callback to the workplace, however, there's going to be significant physical changes. These include social distancing practices, uh, enhanced sanitation, and the use of face coverings. So one of the issues that has been on our minds is the psychological impact of returning to the work environment. There have been a lot of new stressors emerging that workers might be experiencing. So how does that impact workers and how can we all deal with that? The foundation recently hosted a great virtual conference on returning to work in the wake of COVID-19. And one of the sessions by Laura Pratt and Dr. David Ballard addressed these psychological concerns and more. It was really interesting and it covered a lot of great information. So the first topic that we're gonna get into is worker questions and concerns about the risk of infection and other health-related concerns. That's right, Anne. I mean, no one wants to get this nasty virus. And health officials are letting us know that we're not out of the woods yet. It seems like the moment you step outside of your home, there can be a risk of infection. Well, even if we focus only on work today, there are lots of points of concern. First of all, there is a risk of infection if you are commuting and using public transportation to get to and from work. Yes, and there are lots of additional questions to ponder once you get to the workplace. Could I possibly be infected in a meeting, in a conference room? What about the use of communal spaces like cafeterias and restrooms? How will shared equipment, tools, and machinery be handled? And what about elevators and doorknobs, things that get touched frequently? If you're in an office setting or on a factory floor, are there sufficient barriers and distances between workspaces? And what about the air handling system? Yeah, Julie, and there's also concerns related to personal health status. So health experts keep telling us that if a person has certain health conditions, the coronavirus can hit them especially hard and be more severe. We're obviously information's changing all the time, but conditions like high blood pressure, diabetes, chronic lung disease, obesity, and heart disease can all increase a person's risk. That is scary stuff. And also age can play a role. I will admit to being over 60 and my risk is definitely higher than younger workers like you and Justin. And I have to admit that I'm in no particular hurry to return to the office just for that reason. That's right, Kelly. And that's not to say that people of all ages are not susceptible to COVID-19, of course. It's just that fewer young people may end up in the hospital and passing away, unfortunately. Well, another health risk to consider is that many people have been skipping or delaying healthcare visits, either routine ones or a visit for something more serious, because they don't want to uh, risk going to a clinic or a hospital and therefore maybe be exposed to the virus. 
So skipping or delaying health tests and treatments brings additional risks to the health of individuals and could result in an increase in health care costs for plan sponsors later this year or next year. Of course, beyond physical health, another stressor that is something we probably are all experiencing or have at one point throughout the last couple of months is social isolation. So physical distancing, as we know, was important for slowing the spread of the virus, but it may have had a negative impact on worker psyche. Definitely. A lack of access to social supports like family, friends, and colleagues can lead to loneliness, sadness, and despair all of which are significant stressors. Now, speaking for myself personally, I can say that if I did not have so many video meetings during the workday, I would feel very isolated because I live alone. And I know you'll all be like completely shocked to hear this, but I really am an extrovert. I very much enjoy interacting with my colleagues in person. So I definitely miss that. We miss that too, Julie. We miss yeah. that. <laughs> You're not alone in that, uh, in that respect. So, And even if people return to offices and job sites, uh, there may be other mental health impacts. Uh, you may be able to see and interact with more people, but there, there's probably not going to be any handshaking. Uh, we think that Zoom meetings are still going to be the norm for the time being. Uh, and it's likely that not all the staff will return at one time. In fact, some staff may have been laid off and the workers who do return are going to miss their coworkers. So it's going to feel more like normal, but not quite completely normal. And for some, this can all lead to depression. There might also be challenges due to changes in work demands, structures and processes. Everyone's kind of having to innovate and change things up now. I know a lot of people have been working longer hours from home. Um, some people might even be working less just because of a shift in workload right now. So will this continue? Will this be the new normal? Also, how will shift work be impacted by social distancing? Really, we're asking these fundamental questions of how work is done, when it's done, and how much is done, um, this all might be altered for significant periods of time and maybe permanently. It's just all very much up in the air. You're right, Anne. And we should mention that in some ways, we've been given the opportunity to learn new ways to work that have led to greater efficiency. So speaking for us here at the foundation, I think we've all discovered how new meeting platforms can help us quickly communicate and share resources. And we've also found lots of ways to use new online tools, especially in our project management efforts. Well, way to find that silver lining, Julie. Unfortunately, there are still other stressors to consider. Issues relating to financial concerns and job insecurity, for example. As we mentioned, there may be layoffs, and the unemployment rate right now in the United States has improved a little bit, but it's still historically high. Even those who can maintain their jobs may have someone in their home lose their job, which lowers overall household income. And this doesn't just include job loss. Uh, we've seen high levels of worker furloughs, which could impact workers' ability to meet their financial obligations. There's also evidence that those who are facing financial uncertainty are more likely to go into work while sick, which is the worst possible outcome for someone who's showing symptoms of COVID-19. There's also financial concerns that are related to employee benefits um, in the face of this pandemic. The survey that we conducted at the end of April showed that among organizations that provide matching contributions to their employees' defined contribution retirement plans, 
2% had reduced the matching contribution and 8% had suspended it completely for the time being. An additional 19% report that they have not yet made changes, but they're considering making changes in the future. And 11% say that it is too early to tell what changes they're going to make going forward. And those percentages do add up, Justin. And since that survey, I know I've read multiple headlines in the benefit industry newsletters that name many large employers that have reduced or dropped their matching contributions. So I'm guessing the numbers are even higher now than when we did that survey. Kelly, your comment about headlines reminds me of another stressor related to the pandemic, and that's media coverage that has been overwhelming. People are obviously looking to stay informed through multiple channels, and that news can often be upsetting. You can really kind of get yourself into that space of, of focusing on the media all the time, and that can make the impact of any of these stressors that we've mentioned so far even worse. That is so true, Anne. You know, I, I read a cartoon once and said something like, you know, my desire to stay informed is at odds with my desire to stay lucid, right? <laughs> when so it comes, true. <laughs> when it comes to information overload, we have to ask what information is correct and which media sources can we trust? So we've touched on some of the potential stressors. How will they specifically impact workers? and what issues will workers potentially experience on an individual level. We decided to go directly to the source on this topic. So here's Dr. Ballard discussing this impact specifically. So how does, how does this play out? It plays out differently for different people and there are a host of very normal reactions that individuals are going through. So it's important that we don't pathologize these because uh, everyone's experiencing aspects of this in, in different ways. Uh, so some common things that you're likely to see in the workplace as your employees re-enter. Fear and worry. It's normal to be expected. Important not to pathologize. These experiences could be related to uh, employment, uh, job insecurity, health and safety, finances, the economy, family, any number of the stressors that, that I previously mentioned. Connected to that, over time, as employees take on these added stressors, if not managed effectively, people can burn out, leaving them exhausted, unmotivated, feeling negative emotions, uh, and their job performance can actually suffer. So that can wind up interfering with relationships. Um, people can be either preoccupied with work or withdraw from work and their, their health can actually suffer as a result of it. So it's important um, in those cases that they're, they're making effective strides to manage that stress so that it doesn't lead to burnout. Physical and, and somatic concerns are also important. So stress plays out physically and mentally. So people will likely be experiencing it in different ways. Some will be fatigued, some will have sleep problems, some will experience it as headaches and muscle tension or stomach discomfort, change to appetites. For, for others still, it will be affecting their thinking. It'll have more of a cognitive impact, uh, affecting their ability to focus and concentrate, to solve problems, to, to make decisions effectively on the job. Some other impacts that we've seen start to get more severe. Uh, one uh, centers around substance abuse. Some of the early reports ha have been that uh, alcohol and other substances are, are being used and abused at higher rates than they were before the shutdown. So with this increased use could lead to potential problems, uh, but individuals who are in recovery or treatment for substance abuse 
have likely had limited access to treatments and supports during the lockdown as well to take into consideration. Grief and loss, uh, I mentioned um, already, but people may have uh, more complex grief and loss because of the challenges and inability to go through the normal process. Mental health disorders uh, can either have uh, an exacerbation of existing problems, um, most likely anxiety or depression. So people who are already um, managing anxiety disorders, depressive disorders, mood disorders, um, may, may have uh, experienced increased symptoms. For those who were not experiencing it at a clinical level may have higher levels of symptoms. We know that mental health is a continuum. So people with low levels of mental health symptoms that don't rise to a level of diagnosis, those may be ratcheted up uh, because of the additional stressors. Um, and then finally, uh, there's a risk of interpersonal and domestic violence. So the added stress, people are scared, they're angry, they're feeling out of control. There, there have been reports that this has led to a higher incidence of domestic abuse and domestic violence. Uh, it also contributes to a, a potential increase in hostility and aggression and incivility in the workplace. So with all these stressors in mind, what can employers actually do about it? We'll talk about that after a quick break. There's a lot going on in the world right now, and so much of it is hard to navigate. We may not have all the answers, but the foundation is here to help where we can. Consider registering for a virtual conference. We have three scheduled for July, including a one-day program on July 16th called Preparing for the Next Crisis. You can also still purchase on-demand access to the COVID-19 Return to the Workplace Strategies Conference. Go to ifevp.org slash virtual conferences to learn more. Also, check out ifevp.org slash coronavirus. This is the go-to hub for the most current government and workplace resources. From here, Foundation members can also register for any upcoming webcasts or access webcast recordings. Aside from free webcasts, Foundation members get a ton of benefits like discounted registration for our many educational events and legal and legislative updates, just to name a few. So see what the Foundation can do for you. Visit ifebp.org slash membership today. Dr. Ballard discussed nine solutions to support the psychology of employees returning to work. And first up is safety. He stressed the importance of safety because if employees don't feel safe, then all other solutions are basically out the window. If you remember Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So you're removing any unnecessary stressors and focusing on psychological and physical wellness. That's right, Anne. For example, if employees are worried because there aren't enough sanitation measures in place, that's a pretty easy fix to overcome. And the next is lead. Organizations should set a clear course of action. People are looking for direction, even if you don't know all the answers. It's important to reduce as much uncertainty and ambiguity as possible. So listen to your workers and make sure you know what the issues are so that you can address them. Well, and one idea to get in touch with a cross-section of your workers would be to conduct an employee survey, or you could host virtual employee focus groups. Yeah, those are good ideas, Kelly. And that kind of leads into the next tactic, which is communicate. We've talked a lot about benefits communication throughout our podcast, but it's more important now than ever. Dr. Ballard mentioned that communication should be especially open, honest, transparent, 
also make it very frequent, predictable information that employees can easily access and expect. So one technique we've used at the foundation is to send out a regularly scheduled update email from our leadership team. Employees have learned to expect that this communication is coming, and they know that some of their questions might be answered through this email. Another communication idea is to give employees the opportunity to solve problems and give them a voice. Maybe even set up a staff team for each issue that you hope to address going forward. And of course, also under the communication umbrella is the tactic of simply providing resources. As a librarian, I'm a believer in supplying solid information from reliable sources. You can find great resources on mental health, wellness, stress, substance abuse, sleep, domestic violence, and tips for reducing fatigue, and so forth. Well, and it's also important that leaders promote self-care, exercise, sleep, and stress reduction, to name just a few. Yep. The next tip, Julie, is building connections. So finding ways for employees to connect, especially through the new technology that we've all been accustomed to using over the past couple months. I know I've had my fair share of virtual trivia lunches, social hours at the end of the day, plus making online forums available for employees to share ideas about problems that they've encountered and how to solve them, or just to simply you know, take your mind off of work for a second and talk about the latest TV shows to binge watch or share recipes. Another important piece of advice is to make psychological well-being part of the conversation. And this goes back to destigmatizing mental health, which we've discussed in plenty of episodes of this podcast. Mental health is important to all of us. So every wellness communication should include resources about mental health as well as physical health. You want employees to actually use these resources that are available to them and not hide what they're experiencing. That's right, Justin. Next, Dr. Ballard talked about being flexible. Now, we've all perfected the art of flexibility over the last couple of months working from home, and it's important for organizations to continue to stay flexible. You don't know what every employee situation is right now and might have to allow for unusual work arrangements. Certainly, we know that some of our staff have kids at home. Again, leaders should model this themselves by talking about it and perhaps adapting to a flexible schedule themselves. Yes, and having great models at the leadership level can provide encouragement to employees and make them feel comfortable using the resources and benefits that your organization has in place for mental health benefits and flexible work arrangements. Absolutely. Uh, So just wrapping up here, Dr. Ballard talked about making sure that managers know about supportive supervision techniques. They need to understand how to give effective feedback and be well-versed in mental health so that they know when employees might be struggling and how to support them during this difficult time. And along those lines, Justin, it's important for managers to monitor the use of time off just to ensure that employees don't get overwhelmed. Again, too, it's crucial for managers to model these behaviors themselves, just like senior leaders. They need to model and demonstrate self-care and flexible work arrangements. So employees see this as an example and see that we're all kind of struggling on balancing these issues. And the last tip is to provide opportunities for growth and development. And this is probably not top of mind right now for most organizations, but it is really important. Workers want to grow and develop personally, and they want to contribute to the growth and development of their organization. And managers should try to help them do that. We've just hit the tip of the iceberg when it comes to Dr. Ballard's advice and insight. 
You can get the full picture by watching the Psychology of Returning to Work session. You'll also get to hear the thoughts and insights of his co-speaker, Laura A. Pratt with Canada Life. And you can access that session and the other great sessions in the COVID-19 Return to the Workplace Strategies Virtual Conference by visiting ifebp.org slash virtual conferences. Well, today we'd like to give special thanks to Dr. Ballard for his insights, which inspired this episode. And we'd also like to give a listener shout out to Stephen Grieb, who uh, reached out to us during our recent brief hiatus to say that he missed the pod squad. And I have to say, I love that. We might even need to make t-shirts that say pod squad on the back. We've certainly been missing you too, Stephen. So thank you. And all of our listeners, I think I speak for our whole pod squad when I say that I'm glad to be back recording episodes again. Yes, absolutely. And on that note, we're going to end this episode so we can get back to work on the next podcast. We'll be back in your feed soon. If you like what you hear, please rate us on iTunes. It helps others find the podcast. And subscribe to the show in your podcast app so that our episodes will automatically appear on your mobile device. Talking Benefits is a production of the International Foundation of Employee Benefit Plans, the largest educational association for those working in the benefits industry. If you're into benefits, check out all that the International Foundation has to offer at ifebp.org. Our show is hosted by Julie Stick, Kelly Colesrud, Ann Patterson, and me, Justin Held. Produced by Rose Pleva and Stacey Van Alstein, and edited by Amanda Gilsmer. Today's program is copyrighted in 2020 by the International Foundation of Employee Benefit Plans. All rights reserved. The opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers and not to be used as legal counsel. You all sound okay. Pretty much the only volume control that I can have is moving you closer or farther away from whatever device you're using. This might sound silly, but I heard a radio host did his podcast recording with a blanket over his head. If you just want me to turn the camera off, just ask.